So Acts chapter 2, and before we begin, let me just lead us in prayer. Heavenly Fathers, we come into your presence now to study your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive, that everything we sung today was true, that you are a mighty redeemer, that you save those who are broken, that you heal those who are hurting. God, thank you that you forgive sinners, that you take lives that have been wrecked and you bring worship and praise out of them through the blood of Christ. Oh, Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are with us now by your spirit. And Lord, we do pray for, I do lift up this church, God. I pray that you would bless this congregation today. We do thank you for our missionary of many years, Wanda McLean, who went to be with the Lord this weekend. God, thank you for her life and her legacy. God, we thank you that she was faithful to the end. Lord, help us to follow in those footsteps. Thank you for the partnership we've had with her. God, we pray for those in our church who are ill and who are struggling for those who are in marriages that are hurting behind closed doors. God, for your peace to invade and to find people. Lord, we pray for those who are uh, in the hospital. We pray for our brother, Jalmer Nelson, as he recovers from uh, a stroke. God, encourage him. Lift him up. God, place your hands upon uh, every uh, person here today. Speak to us. Lord, we look forward to hearing what your word will say to us. We believe that when the Bible speaks, you speak. And so, God, speak to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 2. Let me read these first 21 verses. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, "'Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans?' Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, this is a great text. It's a big one. It's a biggie. Uh, in the book of Acts, it's probably one of the most important pivotal moments in Acts. Uh, really, you could say it's one of the most big pivotal moments in the New Testament in terms of things that happen that are significant. Actually, you might argue that this, this is uh, one of the most important moments of all of church history, really. You think about all the things that have happened. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is one of the most significant events in all of human history. There are more significant events, like 
the death and resurrection of Jesus, the most important event in all of history, and His coming again, the two most important things that will ever happen in the history of the world. But this is up there. This is big. But why? What does it mean? What does it mean for us today here 2,000, give or take, years after this event? Why is this still significant for us today? What does it mean, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the disciples on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem? Well, if you've been reading the book of Acts, if you've been here the last couple Sundays studying Acts with us, you're, uh, you've been anticipating this. We, we know this has been coming. It's been building up to this, right? If you go back to chapter 1, there's been this promise that the Holy Spirit was coming. You know, go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 4, where Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's coming. The Spirit is coming. Or verse 8, but you will receive power when, what? The Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, so the good news of Jesus is going to go out to the whole world, but something has to happen first. You guys need power, and that'll come through the Holy Spirit. And so now... Finally, it comes. And here in Acts chapter 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as, as I said before, this is a critical event, one that you have to understand what it means and its, its significance for our lives today. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to, first of all, look at the event itself. And you find that in verses 1 to 13. That's the, the thing that happened. We're going to look at it, you know, just kind of make sure we understand what took place then. And then we're going to ask the all-important question that they ask in verse 12, what does it mean? Okay, this crazy thing happened. What significance does it have for our lives? And fortunately, we don't have to guess because in verses 14 to 21, Peter tells us what it means and why it means something for us today. So let's look at the, the event itself. We'll start in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So we go back in time 2,000 years. It's the day of Pentecost, which was one of the Jewish festival days where all of the Jewish people would come together to Jerusalem from around the, the, the world. Uh, you know, Passover was the first big festival day of, the, of that year, and uh, that would be like in March, April. And then 50 days after that, you would have Pentecost, which would be in late May, early June. And then, of course, there'd be a third festival in the fall. But this was sort of the grain harvest. The end of the grain harvest was a time of great joy. And so all of these people from all over the Roman Empire would be coming. All these Jews would be coming to Jerusalem. And so finally that day of the festival comes. And that's also the day that the Holy Spirit comes. So in verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Wow. You know, try to imagine that. Just try to imagine what that would have been like, this violent wind. I don't know if there's any any kids here. If if you guys uh, have ever laid awake at night during a storm and heard the wind blowing outside and you hear it sort of you know, ripping in the trees, and a big gust will come along, and the trees will really roar, and the house will shake, and the, the windows will shudder. You know, just imagine that, that suddenly the house, inside the house, is filled with the sound of a storm and of a rushing wind, and then it gets even freakier. Fire comes and spreads and distributed and dispersed among all the people sitting there. What is that? Why, why is there fire and wind? Why does that happen? Well, I think the explanation is, is because this is the Holy Spirit. That's why. It's God's Spirit. God has showed up in this place. The Spirit of God has come. You know, there's one God, and He is God's Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we've been singing about today. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, and when the Holy Spirit comes, God comes. And if you go look in the Old Testament, you know, what happens when God comes? Well, often there's fire, lightning, 
thunder, wind, earthquakes. It's like the whole creation buckles under his glorious holy presence. That's why this happens, because God has come upon the people in the person of the Holy Spirit. But then something else strange happens, verse 4. They're filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Spirit comes into them. It fills them up. And, and when they're filled, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they start speaking in other tongues. What does that mean in other tongues? Well, it means, they, it means as I think we'll see in the next few verses, they start speaking in other languages that weren't their languages. They start saying things in languages that they didn't know. It's very strange. Look at verse 5. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So again, this is Pentecost. People from all over, Jews from all over the Roman world and beyond are there. And, and they, they all can probably speak Greek because that was the lingua franca. That's what everyone spoke. But they also had their own little languages from the places they came. And suddenly, instead of everything being done in Greek that everyone would understand, they're hearing their own languages, right? Utterly amazed, they asked, are these men not, uh, who are speaking Galileans? And yet each of us hears them in his own native tongue. And then you get verse 9, all the list of the countries. Um, check out this thing I found. It's a map of where all these places are. If you open up your bulletin... And look on the inside, bottom left. I used my extensive seminary training to go to Google Images. <laughs> and I Googled Acts chapter 2, verses 9. And I found this map. And I put it in the bullet, or my, one of our admin team did. So there it is. Thank you, Google Images. There's the map. There's the places. So those of you who like to geek out on maps can look at that and say, oh, there's Media, oh, there's Elam, there's Mesopotamia. But the point is, this is what's known as the Jewish diaspora. That just means the the Jewish dispersion. So after the the Israelites were conquered by the Babylonians and the Israelites were spread out around the world, they, they landed certain places and they developed new communities. So at the time when this was written, there was not only the land of Israel where the Jewish people lived, but they also had communities spread out around the Roman world and in different places. And so some of these people are from all those places and they're there. But here's the point. They all hear the disciples speaking different languages that these guys should not have known. There's a Galilean who's speaking Parthian, whatever that sounded like. And there's another Galilean speaking Elamite, whatever that sounded like. so, So it's a miracle that these guys are speaking different languages. Some have suggested that the miracle here is, is not that they spoke different languages, but it was a miracle of hearing, that, that they were just speaking and everyone heard it in their own language, like it was being interpreted in their ear. But that's clearly not what's happening. The, people are, the disciples are speaking. It's, it's not that a, a, an ear of fire came on the non-Christians, it's that a tongue of fire came on the Christians. And so they're speaking different languages, and everyone's hearing it, and people are starting to freak out. What is this? What, what is going on? It's, it's befuddling them. They're bewildered. They're amazed. They're astonished. All these words. And then in verse 12, they get to the key question. And this is the important question, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? That's the question. What does it mean? Okay, something big and freaky and weird and supernatural seems to be happening, but what does it mean? What does it mean for our lives? That's the key, the interpretive question. It's the question we have to ask. You know, I suggested earlier that this is one of the most important events for us today, and and we say, okay, well, what does it mean then? Why is it significant? There were some there who didn't think it meant anything. Verse 13, however, some made fun of them and said, they've had too much to drink. Too much wine. They're drunk. They're just drunk people. I mean, who knows? Maybe these were like the the locals who didn't speak the other languages, and so they just thought the disciples were babbling. Who knows? Uh, But there's always skeptics. There's always people who say, ah, they're just drunk. Ah, you, you weren't born again. You just had a crisis and, you know, kind of found religion in your crisis. It is nothing different. 
Ah, that's not God answering prayer. It's just coincidences happen and people think it's God. That's, ah, you know. And you can always do that. Ah, I didn't see that. Just my senses are messing with me. Ah, you know. Jesus, you're doing miracles because of the devil, not because you're from God. You can always find a reason to be dismissive about things. So there's some of those folks there dismissing this phenomenon. But that wasn't, it doesn't seem from this text and from the larger story that was the majority opinion. Rather, most people, verse 12, were amazed and perplexed. And they asked one another, what does this mean? Maybe you've had that happen in your life where strange, coincidental things happen to you and you wonder, what does this mean? You know, I've just noticed that over the years as I've, I've watched people walking the walk of faith and, and coming to know Jesus, that oftentimes before people really come to know Jesus, that God will begin to do remarkable, inexplicable coincidences in their life that kind of soften them up and, and get them out of their ah! mode. And suddenly they're going, oh, oh, I can't really explain that. What, what is that? Something weird's happening. Well, maybe it's God. Well, I don't know about that. Let's not go that far. But something weird is happening. I can't explain this. And God will do that sometimes. He'll, he'll send coincidences into your life and, and inexplicable things and things that, that go beyond natural explanations. And, and you kind of feel like, is there someone trying to get a hold of my attention? Is the universe reaching out to me? You know, we, we just say things like that. No, it's not the universe. Better, the guy who made the universe is talking. And he graciously reaches out and talks. And so here's something happening, and these people just say, what does this mean? That's the right question. If you feel that something is happening, what does it mean? And what does it mean for us today? Well, fortunately, we don't have to guess. This is one of those wonderful things where there's an explanation given. I love explanations. And here it is. Verses 1 to 13, you have the strange phenomena phenomenon of the speaking in tongues. And then in verses 14 to 21, Peter stands up and he says, you know, verse 14, let me explain this to you. Here's the explanation. So verses 14 and following is Peter's sermon. This is the first Christian sermon. This is a big sermon. This sermon sets the tone for the whole rest of the book of Acts. It's kind of a a major, pivotal, defining moment, keynote address for the history of the church. This is a keynote address for the whole history of the gospel moving forward. This sets the tone. This is a huge sermon, and it's so big, I'm only going to look at the first bit of it today. And next week, we're going to just get into all the rest of it. It's so good. But we'll just look at the first part today. And this is where Peter explains what happened on the day of Pentecost, what, what was happening. So what happened? What does it mean? And let me just give you Peter's basic answer. This is what it means that all that weird stuff happened. It means that the events of the end times are underway. That's what it means. It means that the last days of the world have begun. It means that all of the things that God promised to do at the very end are now in motion. That's what it means. Look at the text. You're going, what? That didn't sound much clearer to me. Let let me explain. Verse 16. He says, no, no, no. These guys, okay, verse 15. They're not drunk. Okay, that's not the explanation. This is the explanation, verse 16. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So Peter explains this incidence by pointing them back to an Old Testament prophet, a guy named Joel Maybe you heard of him, maybe you haven't. He was several centuries before Jesus and before these events. And Joel, like many Old Testament prophets, not only talked about stuff that was going on in his day, but Joel also had words from God about something God was going to do in the future. And lots of prophets had these visions and words. And it was always about this later period, this future time, this down-the-road kind of thing that was going to happen that, that, that comes to be known as the last days or the end times. And there's all kinds of things that, that are part of those visions. It's the coming of the, the Messiah, and it's the kingdom of God, and it's a new covenant, and the forgiveness of sins, and the, the Gentiles being brought into God's people, all this stuff that we're going to see in the book of Acts. But Joel had one of those visions, 
And he said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So, so what Peter is saying is that to these Jewish people, all the last days stuff we've been waiting for is now happening. The end has begun. And that may sound weird to us because uh, we as Christians today, especially in America, when we talk about you know, the end times or things like that, you know, first of all, it's like really fascinating. We're all like, ooh, that's weird, kind of scary. Are we going to go there? Uh, but we often talk about the end times in the last days as something that's going to happen way in the future still, like, you know, one year before Jesus returns, that that's the end times. But when you look at the New Testament, that's, that's not how the New Testament writers talk about the end times. They always talk about the end times as beginning with the coming of Jesus. So, you know, I was driving in a car once with some members from the church, and somehow we got onto this topic. I don't know if it was like time to play Ask the Pastor or whatever, but uh, one lady's like, hey, Jer- you know, Pastor Jeremy, like, do, you th- you know, do you think we're in the end times yet with all the stuff you see going on in the news? And I was like, oh, yeah, we are in the end times. Been here for 2,000 years, actually. <laughs> but this is it. It's, it's the final phase. If, if you think of human history as a football game, you know, I know the Pats, the Pats are on day, but uh, th- think of human history as a football game. The end times are like the fourth quarter, okay? It's the final bit of the game. It's when all the plays and all of the work and all of the execution are finally coming together, and it's the final thing. And, and in this story, there's not going to be an overtime because God's going to win like a bajillion to zero, you know? So it's, it'll be done when God comes back. But we're, we're in that fourth quarter period. It's, it's the last phase. The, the big thing has happened. Jesus has died and rose again. The next big thing that's going to happen is end of the game, Jesus comes back. And, you know, things will happen between now and then, but this is the last day's period. That's how the New Testament authors saw that phrase the last times. And so we need to, we need to I think, re- understand the right way to use that phrase. And in that last fourth quarter, in the final phase of God's plan for human history is where we find ourselves. Which is kind of cool. If, if you think of human history, you know, some, some uh, views and some, some religions view, view human time as a cycle that just spins around and around and never goes anywhere. It's not a circle, people. I mean, there is some futility to life that goes around and around, but God has a plan that there's a beginning and a middle and an end. And that end, that last final phase is now underway. And the events of the last times have begun. You say, like what? Like what happens in the end times? Well, so much stuff. I mean, we don't have time for it all this morning. There's so much stuff in the Old Testament that it talks about. But let's just look at three things. And they're all right here in Joel. Let's just look at this passage from Joel that Peter quotes and see what are some things that happen in the end times. And of course, the big one is, number one, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon all people. Again, verse 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. The Holy Spirit will be poured out on all the people. And so that's what Peter is saying. You wonder what's going on here. It's not, it's not a drinking party. That's not it. It's that the end times outpouring of the Holy Spirit has begun. And, and that's promised in other places in the Old Testament. If we had time, we could go into all of those. But we'll just stick with this for now. But what's noticeable is, is how many people among God's people get the Holy Spirit? How many? All. They all do. So in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, under Israel in the Old Testament, how many people got the Holy Spirit? It was few. You know, like the prophets had the Holy Spirit poured out on them, and maybe the king, or maybe in the time of the judges, you know, someone like Samson, he got the Holy Spirit, and he got really strong, and he was a deliverer for Israel. But there were selective outpourings of the Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has spiritual gifts. In the Old Testament, 
The, the people didn't know God that well. Even though He was their God, they, they still didn't know Him. They weren't seeking after Him. The, the, the whole of Israel were, were kind of apostate. They worshipped idols. There were always a few who believed. There was always a remnant. But, but the, most of the people didn't really follow God. They had God's law, but they weren't following it. But in the new covenant, God's law is written on our hearts. And everyone in the covenant is a believer and their hearts are changed because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. It's not just a bunch of rules up here in the Ten Commandments, but it's a Spirit giving us God's law and changing our hearts from the inside. Everybody knows God in the New Covenant. Everybody has that intimacy with God that it seemed like just the prophets had in the Old Testament where they seemed close to God and knew God, but now we can all know Him through the Holy Spirit. And you see that here. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, right? So male and female, young men and old men, young and old, even servants, not just the high and mighty, but everyone among God's people. And so that means that every Christian, every Christian has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. When you come to faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what brings us to faith. Every Christian has spiritual gifts. Every Christian has God's Spirit living in us to help us to desire and live this new life. It's not just the Ten Commandments, now do it or else. It's God's law in our hearts, the Holy Spirit changing us from the inside out. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. Praise God for the Holy Spirit that He's poured out on us. Now, Let's dig into that a little bit more, because you read a story like this, and then the pastor says, hey, and you all have the Holy Spirit. You go, okay, but I've never spoken Elamite, and I never saw a fiery tongue over my head, and, um, you know, I haven't ever had a vision. Like, so, you know, what, what do you mean? Like, what... Okay, if we all have the Holy Spirit, what about this story? Because this seems pretty dramatic in what the Holy Spirit is doing. What about me, and how do we understand this story? Well, oh, that's a can of worms. Uh, wow, I don't have enough time. Let me just do this. Let me give you a, a super oversimplified thought on this. And it seems that when people look at this story in Acts in the day of Pentecost, that sometimes Christians can make one of two mistakes with it. One mistake that we sometimes make and you hear Christians make is that we kind of oversell it and overpromise it. And, and if we sort of promise people that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit, you're going to be experiencing the day of Pentecost every day. This is your day for a miracle. This is your day for a blessing. And, and every day is, is a dramatic, supernatural day. It's sort of like if you're really walking with Jesus, every day should be epic. Everything's epic nowadays, right? Nothing's ever just normal. Everything's epic. And God, you know, your miracle is today. God's blessing is for you today. And, and, and this idea that we kind of live in this super triumphant, victorious realm. Um, and, and so it's, it's overpromised and it's oversold. In, in this vision, you know, there's only two levels of Christianity. There's super spirit-filled, revived Christian who's full of power. And then there's backslidden, disobedient Christians. And there's like nothing in between which we might just call ordinary Christianity. Every day following Jesus. There's just the big and then there's the small, but nothing really in between. Uh, so people oversell this. They overpromise it. We have to remember this thing that's happening in Acts chapter 2 is kind of unique. But this is when the Spirit is first given. And, and it's making a splash and a point. There's a reason why these things are happening. And, and as you look at the, the whole New Testament, you don't get the sense that the day of Pentecost is happening every day in the church. You don't get the sense that this is kind of the normal thing. Like, hey, welcome to South Shore Baptist this morning. Okay, uh, Elamite speakers over there. You, know, it just, it doesn't, you don't get that sense even in the New Testament that there's this dramatic, epic moment every day. And yet, while it's possible to oversell and overpromise this text, I think it's also possible and probably far more common to undersell and underpromise and not emphasize the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is real and the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And I think sometimes as Christians, you know, we, we don't 
really lean into the fact that the Holy Spirit is with us and that His power is in our lives and that He does reveal God intimately to us and that He can even come upon us and help us to speak speak the gospel and speak His words. You know, you look at what these people were doing as the Holy Spirit came on them. They were speaking in other languages, but what were they saying? Were they just speaking in Elamite and saying, so what do you think of the weather? No, no, no. Verse 12, they were declaring the wonders of God. So they were proclaiming God. They were talking about how awesome God is. They were praising. Maybe even, it doesn't say this, but I wonder if one of the wonders of God they were proclaiming was the gospel. Jesus is crucified and risen. The Son of God has been risen. Praise the Lord. And what? I don't know what that even means. So who knows? But they're, they're praising God. And God enables us to praise Him and to to put His truth on our lips, and the Spirit fills us with that. It's prophesying in in a very broad sense of that word, which I think it's being used broadly here in this verse. They're speaking God's truth and saying things about Him. And so God's people are are speaking, and and the Spirit is filling them. So there's another error we can make, which is to undersell the Holy Spirit so that we don't actually lean into it as Christians. We say, well, that would just happen then. That doesn't happen now. That's another problem. But you know, God still moves powerfully. God still pours out His Spirit on His people today. There are times of remarkable movements of God's Spirit. It, it happens later in Acts. Look at Acts chapter 4. Well, the, the Spirit's there, day of Pentecost, time for 2,000 years of normal Christianity. No. There's going to be events. Acts chapter 4, the apostles pray for God's power to speak. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, God answers their prayer. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Wait, I thought they already had the Holy Spirit. Yeah, they do. But the Spirit can fill again and again and bring fresh power and fresh seasons of blessing. And down through the centuries, God's Spirit has moved in dramatic ways. And so we as Christians need to be praying for those things. Uh, yeah, there is ordinary Christianity, but there is also extraordinary times. It happened right here in Boston. You know, in the 1730s, 1740s, 1750s, George Whitfield came here. He walked around Boston Commons, and, and, and he preached. And thirty to 40,000 people jammed into Boston Commons to hear this man preach the gospel, which is at that time kind of like pretty much everybody in Boston. And they all jammed there, and he proclaimed the mysteries of God, and he proclaimed the gospel. It was a season of outpouring of God's Spirit. And so, so those of us who are maybe prone to this error, we need to remember that God moves powerfully through His Spirit. We need to pray for it. We need to pray for revival and awakening. And let's also remember that even during the, what I would say is the most normal Christian experience, what I would call the seasons of ordinary Christian life, you know, not the dramatic seasons of revival and not those bad seasons where we backslide and fall away, but the normal seasons where you and I probably spend the most of our lives, that even in those seasons, we need the Holy Spirit to fill us and lead us and guide us. Let me show you a cool verse. Put a bookmark here. Turn. I'm going to show you the Holy Spirit in ordinary Christian life. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. It's on page 1159, Ephesians chapter 5, page 1159. Here's spirit power for the ordinary Christian life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, page 1159. Paul writes this command to the the believers there. Verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So this isn't the super awesome rare times of revival that you might experience once in your life if you're blessed. This is the command for what we should do every day as Christians. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And what does being filled with the Spirit do? Well, it influences you. It's like being drunk on wine. When you're drunk or you're high, the, the, the substances in you cause you to behave certain ways. That's called debauchery. You, you know, you wreck your car and you do stupid things and you end up in jail and all kinds of bad things happen because this, 
you're under the influence. But when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, different words come out of your mouth. Different responses come to people's actions. Different attitudes are in your heart. There's forgiveness. There's grace. There's kindness. There's mercy. There's love. Instead of anger and hatred and, and, and cursing and bitterness, there's praise and there's the gospel. The Holy Spirit fills us up with these things. And so the normal Christian life, the everyday Christian life, is the life filled in the Spirit. So as Christians, you can live your Christian life going back to the old ways, the old habits, the old attitudes, the old Jeremy, the B.C. Jeremy before Christ. Go back to that old routine, all the things I learned growing up, all the bad habits I had, or I can be filled with the Holy Spirit as a Christian and, and trust that God's Spirit will lead me and guide me. So how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit if you're a Christian? Well, pray, Lord, I surrender myself to you today. Lord, help me today. I know today that I'm going to get tempted like crazy. I know Satan's going to come at me like a Mack truck. I need you to strengthen me today, Holy Spirit, to live a holy life. Spirit, help me, fill me. Then you've got to be in His Word. You know, you've got to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly because the Spirit and the Word always go together. And then you need to obey as temptations come because temptations are going to come. Don't think that if you're filled with the Spirit, you're now temptation-free. No, 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 no. The battle is on. But the difference is that you have the Spirit in you fighting and resisting those temptations. You have spiritual power to fight back. And as those temptations come, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And then you're walking in the Spirit and you're keeping in step with the Spirit. But when I sin, I start to grieve the Spirit and I start to quench the Spirit. And so it's, a, it's like a relationship. You know, I'm, I'm married to my wife. We're married. She's, she's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. But I can have different degrees of relationship depending on whether I'm, I'm walking with her or whether I'm becoming selfish and doing my own thing. And so it is with the Spirit. We need to keep being filled and walking with the Spirit in, His, in God's Word. And that's ordinary Christian life. So the Holy Spirit is, is for us. The Holy Spirit is the secret to living the Christian life. God's Word and God's Spirit are the power for living this Christian life. And so praise God, going back to Acts chapter 2, that we live in the last days. Wow, where we have the Spirit not just laws from on high that I can't keep, but the Spirit of God inside of me, teaching me about who God is, helping me overcome all of my sin nature. Oh, praise God, the last days have begun. Let me show you quickly, though, two other uh, aspects of the last days from Acts chapter 2, and we'll, we'll look on these just briefly. There's other things that happen in the last days. Another thing that happens in the last days one is that the Spirit is poured out, but two, the judgment day is coming. That's the bad news of being in the fourth quarter, is it's almost game over. That's the bad news. You get that in verse 19. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the, great and coming, the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. That's bad. The end of the world is coming, and you know there'll there'll be a two-minute warning, and <laughs> the universe will start unraveling. The end is coming, and and if that's what the if those are the signs of the end of the world, what will the actual end of the world be like? The day of the Lord is coming. You know the world's got to end somehow, people. Like even if you're here and you totally don't believe anything in the Bible, like this can't go on forever. Like at some point, the, the sun is going to run out of energy and it's going to go, you know, red giant and it's going to consume us or something's going to happen. So so everyone has to believe in the end of the world one way or another. So how's it going to end? And the Bible is is that the world's not going to end from a meteorite. It's going to end when God brings it to an end and holds the world to account for everything. It's the day of the Lord. Today is the day of the nations. Today is the day of Hollywood. Today is the day of ISIS. Today is the day of Wall Street. But there's coming a day of the Lord. It's His day. And it's the last word on everything. And it's a terrible day. 
It's a day of darkness and blood, and it's the day of judgment. That We today can't believe God would ever judge anyone because how could God judge me? I'm so awesome. I mean, like, I've been recycling for years, and <laughs> like this coffee is, you know, fair trade, and um, I have a Prius, and I have like a rescue iguana, and you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm really not that bad. How could God judge people? Wow. We're so blind. Our whole lives have been lived on our own terms. I'll tell you how God can judge people because God is a jealous God and we have made gods of ourselves and God will brook no rivals to his glory. God is going to judge the world. It's coming. There's no escape. You can't get out of this. God is holy. His standard of who passes is perfection, just as he is perfect. Nobody will stand on the great and glorious day of the Lord and their own merits and their own strength. So what do you do? It's kind of gloomy. All right, so the last days, awesome. The Spirit's being poured out. Terrifying. The end is coming. We're in the last quarter. So how do you, how do you get the Spirit but escape the judgment? How does all this happen? Well, and that brings us to the third and final feature of these last days, that this is not only the day of judgment coming upon the world, but it's also the day of salvation open today. Verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's another a glorious part of the end times is that today is the day of salvation too. How can you be saved from this coming judgment? You have to call on the name of the Lord. It's for everyone. I love that for oh, everyone. Even me? Yes. Oh, I can get in. Everyone. Not just Jews, but now Gentiles. You know, it doesn't matter where you're from, how you were raised. Everyone can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It, it's not exclusive to any group anymore. The doors are wide open. There's no pre-qualification needed. Everyone can call on the name of the Lord. And by the way, I think that's why when the Holy Spirit comes and they start speaking in other languages, like, why? so why did that happen? Why did they speak in other languages? Well, it's because it's showing that th- this is going to the world. That's why they're speaking in other languages. It's, it's an initial sign that the day of salvation to the whole world is happening. So it's, it's what was promised, this, this everyone can be saved, and, and we'll show it right now by declaring the wonders of God to all of these people from around the world. It's, it's kind of a symbol and a picture of the beginning of the gospel going to all the nations. That's why they're speaking in other languages, because now everyone, everyone, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Even me, my life's a mess. Everyone. I've got a rap sheet. Everyone. I'm addicted. Everyone. I'm divorced. Everyone. My life is a mess. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what do you have to do? You have to call on the name of the Lord. This is not self-help. This is not fix yourself. This is not designer spirituality. This is admitting our utter dependence upon a Savior beyond ourselves. Lord, you must save me. I cannot stand on the judgment. And everyone who does that will be saved. And that leaves us with one question. What is the name of the Lord? Verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the name of the Lord. That's what the whole rest of the sermon is about. We'll study that next week. Verses 22 to the end of this sermon by Peter. It's all about showing that Jesus is the name of the Lord upon whom we can be saved if we'll call upon him. That's the whole point, the whole sermon. Jesus is the name of the Lord. And the reason that Jesus is the only one who can save us is because he has already endured the day of the Lord for us. He already has died on the cross. He's the only one who's absorbed the judgment of God and come back from the dead. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the day of the Lord. 
the sky turned black, the earth shook, the judgment of God came down on Jesus. The day of the Lord had come. So now it's in Jesus that we can be saved. Let me explain it this way. I did this in the first service. It worked. Hoping this works again. Um, let me try to explain what Jesus did on the cross with a, a riddle. So if there's any kids here, any uh, teenagers, you know, wake them up. And uh, I'm going to give you guys a, a, a puzzle, okay, and see if you can figure out this puzzle, all right? So here's the puzzle, all right? It goes like this. So imagine yourself, you're in the Midwest out in the plains. Maybe you've never seen the plains. Just imagine a field that goes on for miles, and you can't see any hills or trees or towns, you, you, and you've got a little backpack on, and it's got basic camping supplies, and you're hiking through the plains, and the, the, the tall grass comes up to you know, your, your chest, and it's waving, and, and the wind is blowing in your face, and you're watching the amber waves of grain you know, roll. It's a beautiful day. And, and as you're walking along and the, and the wind is blowing in your face and you're having this wonderful moment by yourself in the plains, suddenly you begin to smell something on the wind. You smell smoke. Yeah, that's weird. And the smoke gets stronger and the smoke gets stronger. And now imagine as, as the smoke gets stronger, you begin to look in the distance and you see fire. And then you see that the fire stretches out as far as you can see in either direction. And then you realize that fire, a line of fire, is in the plains, that the plains are on fire, and they are burning toward you. The wind is carrying it your direction. What do you do to save yourself? It's a riddle. Teenagers or kids, raise your hand. Feel free to throw out an answer. Anyone got any answers? I had some doozies in the first service. <laughs> Woo! Anyone? Anyone got an idea? Okay, yeah. Drop the bag and run. run. (laughs) So you do, but you realize you can't, the the wind is going like 30 miles an hour, and you can't outrun it. Okay, so it's too fast. Fire's coming on too fast. Yeah, back there. What's that? Pray? Okay. Always a good church answer. (laughs) I admire it. So you pray. And you actually prophesy. God speaks to you. And God says, you have a backpack with basic camping supplies. That's a hint. All right. Anyone else? Yeah. You pour water on yourself. Okay, so you try that, but you realize you only have like a quart. You're like, okay, quart of wire. Yeah, firemen don't typically just do a quart of water. So there's got to be some other plan. Oh, you're too old. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're too old. Any kids? I may go back to you, though, if I get really stuck. That's that? You have matches in your backpack. Yeah. Yes? You don't have a fire shelter. You were close, though. What do you do if you have matches in your backpack? What's that? Dig a hole? That's good. Can't dig fast enough. Yeah, that's, that's it. Then, oh, yeah, good. So what's... You start a fire. This is actually a tactic. You start a fire the same direction the wind is going, and it burns. And then you go stand where it burned. And then when the the huge, ridiculous, apocalyptic brush fire comes, it's already been burned. That's kind of cool. No, 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 no. That's the best news in the universe because that's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus was, is the burn place where the fire of God's judgment fell on Christ. The day of the Lord has come when Jesus hung on that cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was bearing the, the curse of God. The wrath has been poured out. Sin has been judged on the sinless one. And so now you've got two options because the day of the Lord is coming. The brush fire is coming from which none will escape. Do you like, all right, I can figure this out. I can outrun it. I can use my cell phone. Yeah, I'm not so bad. The fire wouldn't burn me. I'm pretty good. You know, like, what do you? No, no, no. There's only one escape. You have to go to the foot of the cross where the ground has already been scorched and where there is safety in Christ because the judgment has already come. 
That's why everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every other philosophy, every other system, every other religion tells me, be a good person, try harder, be more religious. Not only is that exhausting, I can't do it. I don't need run faster, dig deeper. I need a Savior. I need already burned ground. And everyone who calls on the Lord, who goes to Jesus and who puts their faith in Him, will be saved. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, may You receive all the praise. Lord, we praise You because You alone, You alone have made a way to be saved. Thank You, Jesus, for dying for us. Lord, we thank You that the end times have come. Thank You that all of Your promises are coming true. That the world is not just going around spasmodically and chaotically, but that, Lord, Your plan is flowing perfectly forward. God, we, we praise You for that. We praise You, Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is being poured out. And I pray, God, that You would pour out Your Spirit and power on this church. Lord, I pray for every Christian here that You would fill us, that You would teach us what it's like to live the Spirit-filled and spirit uh, the spirit rhythmic life where we are following in your footsteps. So Lord, fill us with your spirit. I pray if there's anyone here who's a Christian who's not walking in the spirit that you'd cause them to repent, cause them to seek you. God, I pray for, for uh, our church to be baptized with power again by the Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would send another awakening to New England. Oh God, that you would raise up another George Whitfield. Lord, put your hand upon Somewhere here in New England, put your hand upon a young man and call him to preach. Lord, we thank you for Jesus and thank you that he died and rose again. And Lord, we take our stand this morning at the burnt ground of the cross where the fire of judgment fell and has been extinguished by his blood. Oh, Lord Jesus, our trust is in you. And I pray, God, that, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, would you mercifully start nudging start working, start revealing your truth to their hearts, that they would know that there really is a God and there really is a Savior. Oh, Lord, show your mercy to them like you've shown to so many of us who just are thick-headed sinners. Lord, reach down and speak to us, we pray. And we ask all this through the name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.